Good evening everyone and welcome. Tonight's class is titled Going the Extra Mile. And we all know that we naturally have a love for God. There's a natural love for Hashem. The truth is, this is written clearly within the Tanakh. In the Tanakh we learn that David HaMelech in chapter 69, verse 37 of Tehillim, he tells us, Ki alekim For God will deliver Zion, V'yivna Yehuda, and He will build the cities of Judah, and they will settle there and possess it. So Hashem is going to take all the captive, all the captives, all the people that unfortunately we've been spread around the world. He's going to return us to the land of Israel. And who's going to inherit it? The seed of his servants will inherit it. And those who love his name will dwell in it. Okay, so Hashem's going to return Israel to the people who it rightly belongs to. And the people who's going... Who are those people? Hashem's going to give it to the children of His servants and to the people that love His name. Who are the people that love His name? All the Jewish people. Each Jew is called someone that loves God. And that's a natural love. David HaMelech is already telling us that within the natural makeup of a Jew is a hidden love to Hashem. No work necessary. Where is this love seen? Where do we see this love? It's not there immediately. This love is seen by the natural belief that a Jew has, although at times it can be very limited. The ability to form a sirat nefesh, a Jew has the ability to give up his soul for God. God forbid if someone was threatened, your life, or convert. A Jew has the ability to give up his life. Mesirat nefesh, give up his soul. Where does that come from? That comes from this natural love that we all are created with. And similarly, because of this natural love, we all have a natural fear of God. So we all have a natural love for God and that also creates a natural fear of God. That we all created with this love. Why is this so important? Because today we're going to share, as we began discussing last week, that if something is natural to you, you're not credited, you don't get any credit for it. You're, in order to be a, considered a servant of God, you have to go beyond yourself. If someone has this natural love for Hashem, and because of the natural love he loves God, or he believes in God, you're not called a servant of God, you're just called being yourself. You haven't done anything. So whatever comes to us naturally is not considered going the extra mile. We need to be able to go further than who we naturally are. Let's see this inside. We're in the middle of chapter 15, page, 5, page 66, chapter 15, page 66, on the left-hand column. We're 11 lines from the top. The line begins feeling. 
We're up to hence. And we discussed that if naturally a person has a frigid nature and therefore many certain desires don't come to him, if naturally he's into philosophy and therefore he loves to study, then his study, then his lack of interest in pleasures, those don't make him a servant of God. They don't make him someone serving God. These are things that come naturally to him. Hence, because this person, his makeup allows this is who he is, he's not fighting against himself in order not to do these sins or to learn, hence he does not need to concentrate so much on the greatness of God to consciously create a spirit of knowledge and fear of God in his mind. This man, he's going to be able to withhold any himself, this man or woman can withhold himself from sin just because of his frigid nature. He doesn't need to think and focus on God. He doesn't need to come and before prayer, he comes at 8.15 every morning to first focus on God for 10 minutes. That's not necessary for him to be in check and not to sin. In order to guard himself against violation of the prohibitive commandments, he doesn't need to contemplate on the greatness of God to come to fear God, not to sin. It's who he naturally is. Or to arouse the love of God in his heart to induce his attachment to Him. This person, he naturally loves to learn Torah. It's a natural thing. So he doesn't also, not only he doesn't need to think about the fear of God, he doesn't need to think of the love of God. Through the fulfillment of the positive commandments in the study of Torah, which balances everything else, he loves to learn Torah. He doesn't need to work for it. For him, for this person, who his natural makeup is, he's a cold person, he's, so to say, cold-blooded. Or he loves to learn. For him suffices the hidden love that is in the heart of all Jews. It's enough for this person, the natural love that every Jew has. Where does this love call? What is the love termed? Who are called, as I mentioned to you earlier from David HaMalach, Oy those who love his name. This man... As long as his natural love is there, he doesn't need to do anything else to remain in check. That's just who he naturally is. And therefore, he is not at all. Look at these wordings. Therefore, it doesn't say, therefore, he is not. It says, therefore, he is not at all. Klal. Klal means period. He is not, in the smallest sense, called one who is serving. We're talking about someone here who, the, who he is fully in check. He's fulfilling every part of the Torah and mitzvot. And yet, he is not at all, not in the smallest amount called a serving God. Inasmuch as this latent love is not of his making. All he's doing is just using his natural makeup. Or accomplishment by any means. He, this is not his accomplishment. But it is our inheritance that has come down from, from our avot, our forefathers, to the whole community of Israel, as will be discussed further. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, they implanted in us many energies. The energy for Mesirat Nefesh, to give yourself up for Hashem, comes from Avraham Avinu. We know he, Avram had ten tests. One of the tests is Or Kazdim. Or Kazdim was where Nimrod, the king at the time, 
turned to Avram and he said, Idols or to the fire? Do you believe in idols? Or are you going to go into this massive fire? Avram said, I believe in God. And he was thrown into the fire. And what happened? Not only he survived, but Shmuldava, what happened? The fire turned into a garden. The fire turned into a garden. He was actually able to be comfortable there. Afterwards, Nimrod turned to the brother of Avram and he said to the brother Haran, he said, who do you believe in now? Idols or God? Or, or Hashem? And he said, Hashem. And Haran was thrown into the fire and unfortunately he died. Why did he die? He died for the sake of God. But he died because he didn't have that same initial trust. He already he saw a miracle happen. He saw Avram was saved. So he's like, hey, I'm ready to join. Um, but nonetheless, he died. And we know there is nothing greater than dying for the sake of God. Just on a quick side note, Rabbi Yosef Karo, the author of the Shulchan Aruch, Shmuldavid knows this story. Rabbi Yosef Karo, he prayed to God every day and he said, allow me to die for the sake of your name. And he sinned. Whatever the sin was, relative to his stature, it wasn't a true sin, but relative to who he was, there was something inappropriate that happened. And God punished him. He didn't allow him to die for the sake of God. When did he complete the Shulchan Aruch? Before that time or after? After that time period. That means he compiled the Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law. Today, every single Jew benefits from that Code of Jewish Law. For the last hundreds of years, every single Jew has benefited. You could, his, his accomplishment is tremendous. And yet whatever that accomplishment did, it is, it is nothing. It was a punishment for him to remain alive and write the Shulchan Aruch relative to how holy it is to die for the sake of God. God forbid none of us should ever be in that situation. But you should know that someone who was killed for the sake of God goes straight to heaven and he is a great man. So back to what we're discussing here. There's a natural love. And as long as Avram Avinu, he gave us the energy to naturally have Mesirat Nefesh. Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, each one of them, they gave us natural energies. And if we use those natural energies, that is not called serving God. We're just called being who we are. Any questions? No? Okay. You know, just to re-emphasize, so you could be doing everything 100% correct. To an outsider, you'll look like the greatest person. And yet in reality, that the person in the back, who, who barely makes it to show, and unfortunately he may not be doing everything correct, but he's fighting, he's on a greater level than that perfect person. You know, we always compare ourselves to other people. And this is just reiterating that point. Don't, isn't there an expression, the Jones next door? Or something to that extent? Keeping We have to check up on ourselves and know that looking at someone else is, is destructive for who we are. And now we're going to learn something even more powerful. That if someone has toiled and worked hard and achieved, so they served God, but they get stuck at that level, again, at the moment they've achieved and they stop continuing, 
They're not anymore called serving God. What is the difference between someone alive and unfortunately someone dead? Someone alive, we say, they're on a bike with no brakes and they're headed on a hill. That's the way life is. You've got to constantly pedal. You start, you start pedal, you stop pedaling, you're not going to stand still. You're going to fall backwards. That's life. It is what it is. You have to constantly be striving higher. And the moment we stop pedaling, the moment we say, I'm just fine where I am, you're not anymore serving God. You've gotten until here, but now you need to continue. Look, if someone needs a vacation, so to say, vacations are healthy. They allow you to re-energize. So if someone says, you know, for the next year, I need to make sure that I'm strong in this level. If someone says, look, I'm going to commit to keeping kosher. And yet, unfortunately, there's other things going on in their life. They're allowed to accomplish that task and stay there for a year. Say, look, I need to make sure this is strong. But if that's for the rest of their life, they say, this is what I do. And they're not willing to take a step further. So... At some point, it's going to be like, we're not anymore serving God. We're, we're stuck now. So they say someone who's passed away, you put them in a frame. That's the way it is. They stay in the frame, they don't move. Life is like that bike. What is the only way someone who passed away can be elevated? By people down here. Giving tzedakah and saying Kaddish, correct. That is why Yizkar is so, so important. It's important for the person saying it. And in a way, it's even more important for the person who it's being said for. We have the power to elevate every soul. Okay, so back to our discussion here. Someone gets stuck where they are. They're not anymore serving God. Again, page 66, bottom of the left-hand column. So too is one who, although by nature, is not such a serious student. But he toiled, and he has yet, has yet accustomed himself to study with great diligence, so that the habit has become, become second nature with him. Yes, he wasn't very studious, and he tried hard, and now he loves studying. This is who he or she naturally is. For him too, suffices the innate love. The natural love that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob gave us. That's all you need once you've gotten to that level, once you've accomplished. Unless he wishes to study more than his want. So the moment we've accomplished and we get stuck where we are, we're in a picture frame. We're not moving. And now you remember last week we started off with the Gemara and Chagiga. The Gemara and Chagiga shared that, that what is the meaning on the, of the Pasuk that Hashem is going to tell the difference between an Oyved Alekim Asher Bein Tzadik Rasha Oyved Alekim Asher What is the difference between the righteous and wicked someone who serves God someone who doesn't serve God and we explained that there is the righteous and the wicked and then there are two levels within the Bainani. There's a Bainani who serves God and a Bainani who doesn't serve God. What does it mean a Bainani doesn't serve God? A Bainani who doesn't serve God, how could that be? It's a contradiction. If you're a Bainani, you're perfect. You haven't sinned. So he said a Bainani who serves God is a Bainani who he's going beyond himself. The Bainani who doesn't serve God, he's perfect. He doesn't sin. 
But that's just who he naturally is. He's just using his natural powers. He's not working on himself. And the Gemara gave an example, and that's what we're going to focus on now. The Gemara said, If you have the donkey drivers, you remember the example of the donkey drivers? The donkey drivers who they naturally will go, for one zuz they'll go ten parsa, and for two zuz they'll go an eleventh. So the Gemara said, Whoa, you go one more parsa, you charge double the amount, you're going one tenth more. You'll go 10 parsa, you'll go 10 miles for one zuz. You'll go, it's an Uber driver, he's going to go 10 miles for $20 and 11 miles for $40. Does that make sense? And the Gemara says, yes, because if everyone goes 10 miles, it's no big deal, $20. But you want me to go further, a little further than who I naturally am, now you need, now you need to pay me 40 And that's exactly what we're saying here. We're learning the same idea. To be who you naturally are is not, is not a big task. You're not serving God. All we want is for you to go a little further than who, than who you naturally are. Just try a little more. Page 66, right-hand column. This will explain the statement in the Gemara that one who serves God, who serves God, refers to one who reviews his lessons 101 times, while one who does not serve him refers to one who repeats his lesson no more than 100 times. If you only review 100 times, oh, you're not a servant of God. 101 times, oh, you're a servant of God. Shmuel David, when was the last time you learned something 100 times? Chidon. Chidon, 100 times? You read some units, that's amazing. So Shmuel David is a re- no, you're not a servant of God. Did you do it 101 times? Uh, 101 or 100? 102. Oh, that's $60. <laughs> this is because in those days it was customary to review each lesson 100 times. Everyone learned the Gemara 100 times. This went on for about 100 years after the Gemara. The Gemara was compiled around the year 2-300 and let's say about until year 500 of the common era it was, cost, it was normal to learn something 100 times yes, today we say if you learn it 4 times you've accomplished but back then it was normal to learn it 100 times How to, and therefore if you learn it one extra time now you're a servant of God as indeed illustrated in the Gemara by the example taken from the market where donkey drivers used to hire themselves out at a rate of 10. Parsa. If you look at number 8, it says, what's a parsa? It's a Persian mile. Persian mile. That was the, the method of uh, measuring distance in Persia at the time. It was called a parsa. So you would go 10 parsa for one zuz, but 11 parsa, it was charged two zuz. Why? Because that exceeded their customary practice. The moment you want me to go beyond myself, double. And for the same reason, the 101st time you learn, which is beyond the normal practice, to which the student had been accustomed since childhood, that is considered equivalent to all the previous 100 times put together, and even surpassing them in endurance and effort. And therefore, 
this person is now titled an Oyved Alekim, one who serves God. You know, they say, how long does it take to become a Gaon Adir? How long does it take to become a brilliant, brilliant Torah scholar? What's the answer? They once asked the Rosh Hashim and he said it takes five minutes. It takes those five minutes you have every day that you, that, you know, you're, you're wasting on your phone. If, if you, those, those, that, that makes you a Tamar Chacham. In other words, we, we all have time that we could be using for something else. And if we're able to change our nature, even the smallest amount, that's going to now make us a servant of God. Any questions? So was Moses a Benini? That's a great, that's a great question. Was Moshe a Benini? Why wouldn't he be a tzaddik? <laughs> I don't think like that for humans. I know I should, but I don't know. Well, he was, he was always going beyond himself, and Hashem was pushing himself, and he gave him Aaron to help him. He never... Um, Moshe was a tzaddik. Yeah. How do you know he was a tzaddik? Because he was a leader of the Jewish people. He was a leader of the Jewish people so much that all the Jewish people were interconnected with him. Hashem turned to Moshe after the sin of the golden calf and he said, Moshe, do me a favor. Let me just destroy every Jew. I'll leave you alive. You and your wife. You'll have children. And your inheritance, your children... They will be the Jewish people. Familiar with this passage in, in Shemot, in Parshat Kisisa? And Moshe turns to Hashem and he says, very, very sharp words. He says, forgive the Jewish people. And if not, erase my name from the Torah. I want to have nothing to do with this. Talking to God. You know, they say in today's Rabbi Beryl Lazar, the chief rabbi of Russia, he was invited by Putin to join the opening games in Sochi. Am I saying it correct? Sochi? Sochi. Sochi. And the opening games were Friday night. So what do you do? Okay. So he spoke it over with his rabbi, and his rabbi told him, when Putin invites you, you walk, but you go. Yeah. You, do, you do what you have to do. With some, in some things, you don't play around. <laughs> That's with a human being. To make 1,000 differentiations. We don't compare God to... But just that was an example. When it, Moshe Rabbeinu was talking to Hashem. And Hashem tells him, he says, I have an idea. Let me destroy the Jewish people. So normally you should say, you know what? I'm not mixing into your business. If that's what you think, I, I think I don't, you know, I, maybe it's not such a good idea, but I'm not going to mix in. You're God. And Moshe Rabbeinu turns to Hashem with chutzpah. He says, erase me. I want to have nothing to do with this anymore. I'm, I'm done. And you know, because Moshe Rabbeinu said that, there's a parsha that doesn't have Moshe, Moshe's name. Because Moshe said, 
erase me from the Torah. The words of a tzaddik are last, everlasting. So even though, even though Hashem didn't destroy the Jewish people, but the very fact Moshe Rabbeinu said, erase me from the Torah, there is one Torah portion that does not have Moshe's name. And that is the parish of Titzaveh. What was Moshe Rabbeinu saying? Moshe Rabbeinu was saying that I and the Jewish people are one. There's no such thing as Moshe Rabbeinu being the Jewish people. Every single Jew and I have an inner connection. You kill them, you're killing me. That's why he was a leader of the Jewish people. He was a real leader. He was, he was the captain of a ship. He said, the ship goes down, I'm going with them. Moshe Rabbeinu was a true tzaddik. So back to our discussion. So you must go ahead and go beyond yourself. What is so great about breaking yourself? That therefore you're called an Oved Elohim. What is necessary to break yourself? Why someone who goes beyond himself, he is a servant of God. What is so special? What energy does it take to go beyond yourself that this makes you a servant of God? Why? Why isn't a servant of God someone who does what God wants? You're putting in the effort. We're going beyond ourselves. You're saying Hashem wants you to do something. He doesn't want you to just be uh, a machine. That's true, but there's much more. There's, there's something much greater about someone who goes beyond himself. Struggle. The struggle. The struggle of every human. Correct? Correct? Making what? the world a better place? Make, uh, why aren't we making the world a better place, even if this is natural? Every mitzvah we, we do is a limb of Hashem. Every mitzvah we do, we're drawing down energy. So, so what is unique about doing a mitzvah that you don't want to do? If someone loves to give tzedakah, he's still getting credit for giving tzedakah. Oh, according to the... the pain is a reward. The fumtsara, according to the pain, agra is the reward. The more painful it is, the greater the reward. It's a fair, fair perspective. What's the, for an order to change his habit to, his, for an order for someone to change his nature, and I need to stop here for a second, and tell you that the greatest concealment on, of God is saying the very word nature. Nature is a concealment on God. What does the word nature mean? It means nothing. Nature means, we come and say, oh, something is natural. When you hear the word natural, Maisha Mandel, what do you think? Trees, ecosystems. No, no, I, I, you think of trees, but like, the, is, is nature a miracle or it's just, it's nothing, we don't even think about it. Okay. Yeah, for the most part. We, we don't think about nature. That is the greatest concealment on, of God. The fact that the sun goes up every morning, the fact that children are born, the fact that we have our full body, the fact that nature exists, the fact that when you plant something it grows, how can we not think about it? These are the greatest miracles. So we call it nature. We, like, let's not, it, it just, it's natural. There's no, that is the greatest concealment of God. And it, there's actually a word to teach us this. What is the word nature in Hebrew? Teva. Can I have a piece of paper, please, Basha? I want to, sh I want to write something down for everyone. 
and you'll do a little math with me. We're going to take the word Ha-Teva. Ha-Teva. What does Ha-Teva mean? Ha-Teva? The nature. The nature. Good. Ha-Teva. What is the numerical value of Ha-Teva? Hey is how much? Five. 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 Tess is how much? Nine. Nine. Bayes is how much? Ayin is how much? 70. 70 plus 2 plus 9 plus 5 equals? 70 plus 2 plus 9 plus 5. 86. Which, God has many names. Which name of God create, gives energy to nature? The name Elohim. Let's now go ahead and see what the numerical value of Elohim is. Elohim is spelled Aleph. How much is Aleph? One. Lamed is how much? Thirty. You're good, you're good. Vav, Elohim, Vav, six. Actually, I'm making a mistake here. Oh, I, I know. Sorry, there's no vav. You take out the vav. Aleph, lamid. So wait, wait. So it's one. One thirty. Okay. Then hey okay. is how much? Five. Five. Yud is how much? Ten. And final mem is mem is forty. Let's spell that again. Elohim is spelled aleph, lamid, then a hey, then a yud, then a mem. Which is 1 plus 30 plus 5 plus 10 plus 40? 86. 86. Elohim and Hateva are the same thing. Because nature is a concealment on God. <laughs> I apologize if I threw anyone off with the Gematria. But the idea is very important again that nature is a concealment. And again, when people say, if you tell someone something magnificent and they tell you it's natural, you know, like, or th there's no need to believe in God, they <laughs> how, how could that be? Let's just stop and think about the wonderful world we have and how... And so, when we, when we were, I was saying before, when we were learning earlier in Tanya, that if someone does, is just being their natural self, then they're not called a servant of God, because they haven't brought out with, they haven't got control of nature. They're still controlled by nature. They're still controlled by that concealment. Again, nature equals concealment of God. If someone is stuck within his natural self, if he naturally is able to serve God, and he's not doing something beyond himself, he's still stuck in that level of concealment. Page 66, seven lines from the bottom. For in order to change someone's nature, how do you go beyond your nature? How do you go beyond yourself? Well, for that, you must arouse the love of God. And how do you arouse the love of God to the very least? by means of meditation in his mind on the greatness of God. Think about the greatness of God, how great God is. How God, cre how God created this 
entire universe. And yet, Adon Olam Hashem Malach Beterim Kol Yitzur Nivra. Hashem was here before the world. And even once the world is created, it's as if the world is not created, we're like nothing to Hashem. How Hashem is looking at each and every one of us as if we're His only child. The Baal Shem Tov shares that Hashem loves each and every one of Hashem loves each and every one of us like a child born in old, an only child born in old age. The love Hashem has for us is tremendous. It's unbelievable. And how could Hashem love each and every one of us with that same energy? And He's looking at each and every one of us. Hashkacha pratit. He's every single detail we all do and any, any detail that happens in the world Hashem is in check with. Just think about the greatness of God and that will give you mastery over nature. That will give you mastery over the sense of, oh, let's just be who I am. We, and that comes from the left part of the heart. The left part is kalipa, is negativity. So, n- nature is really a part of negativity. Nature meaning when someone is able to just say, this is who I am, or this is natural, we're, we're losing the sense of God within everything. That's from the left ventricle. That's from the animalistic soul. And so, in order to be a servant of God, in order, we have to go beyond ourselves. We have to go ahead and get in check or get our nature in check. We have to gain mastery over the left part of our heart, which is full of blood of the animal soul, originating in the klipa, from where his nature comes. Nature comes from the animal soul. Nature comes, or the sense of nature comes from the blood that is circulating through your body, which the natural soul, which the animalistic soul is within. And if someone does this, this is perhaps one of the strongest lines of Tanya, <coughs> this is a perfect service. It doesn't say this is a service. It says this is a perfect service for a Bainani. This is tremendous. This is a perfect service for a Bainani. What is the task? Our ultimate dream is to be a Bainani. What is the perfect service of the Bainani? What is our goal? To be able to gain mastery over ourselves. To not be limited by ourselves. To not be controlled. This is a perfect service. Avodatama. Unblemished service. You'll remember in chapter 1 we said that even good things, but if they're natural, come from the animalistic soul. In order for us to be a servant of God, to be in check with our godly soul, we have to be doing things that are not natural to us. How do you know if something is good or is holy or unholy? Well, one of the things you could do is look at what is the wheat in which area of godliness is the biggest fight? Where is the Yetzirah fighting you the most? It's in that area, most probably, that you need to be heading. We all have a personal service that God wants from us. Each one of us is different. Each one of us has a different message, has a different, has a different mission. And one of the methods we could find out what our specific uh, mission in life is, is by looking, where do I have the most negativity towards? 
Perhaps that is because the Yetzirah is fighting strongly to make sure I don't fulfill my true mission in this world. The Avodatama, the complete, the ultimate work for a Bainani, is to get his natural energy in check. Any questions? Let's conclude chapter 15 with learning something very practical. And that is that not all of us have the ability to think for a long time straight and focus on God and focus on His greatness and thereby create this love of God. Even, even the very notion to be able to focus at times could scare a person off. It, not everyone has that energy. Some people, they could just go to a dark room and think and focus. They go, to, they go wherever it is, their favorite place. And yet for other people, it's hard. It's hard to truly be able to connect with something. Are they lost? Someone is not so intellectual, is he lost? No, not at all. We're going to learn, it's not going to be the, the avodah tamah of a benini. It's not going to be the ultimate work of a benini. But nonetheless, if someone is able to go ahead and at least work on that, remember we said each one of us has natural love to God? Or natural, that comes from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Well, that's natural and you don't get credit for it. But if you are able to work with it, if you're able to just make sure that that love is, is, is active, so you're still serving God, you have at least activated the love. It's always there. So the very least someone, the ultimate for the Bainani is to create a great love through meditation on the greatness of God. And once you do that, you'll have your nature in check. But if someone doesn't have the ability to meditate strongly on God, the very least they could do is take the natural love and activate it. At least, at least they've participated in activating the love. Let's see this inside. Or, third line, page 68, if you can't do the perfect service of serving God by, cre- by meditating strongly, or he must awaken the hidden love in his heart, to control, he's not going to overpower. By awakening the hidden love, you're going to control. There's going to be a fight, but you're going to control through it the nature that is in the left part. And even, the, if, even this act alone, just activating the hidden love, this too is called avodah service. The waging of war against his nature and inclination by means of exciting the love that is hidden in his heart. As long as you did something, as long as you've participated, it's called work. However, and perhaps this is like the, 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 the summary of the whole chapter, last three lines, however, if he wages no war at all, the said love, the ahava mesuteret, the natural, um, the natural love in itself, can in no way be credited to his service. Whatever you naturally are, you don't get credit for it. You, we have to be waging war. Waging war doesn't mean we have to take out all the. Uh, we have to take out everything. No, we could do one piece at a time. But we have to be constantly waging a war. We have to be constantly on the rise. We can't get stuck where we are. And each one of us in our own life, I'm sure, could think and recognize that whenever we took a moment in our life and said, I'm just going to, like, status quo, doesn't stay at status quo. 
Either we go up or down. There's no such thing as status quo. And status quo, if we're just using what we naturally... It's like using your, your savings in your bank. You're not, use, you're, not, you're not a status quo, you're losing your money. Status quo is not going to do it. Uh, you could be a perfect person. Never sinning, but you're not a servant of God. So in summary, what we have learned in chapter 15 is that there are two types of, of Bainani. They're both perfect people. They're both serving God exactly the way they need to. In their thought, speech, and action. But, one of, the, one of them is called a servant of God. The other one is called Lo Afado, very strong. He's a Bainani, but he's called Lo, not serving God. Very strong words. Why? Because he's just being who he naturally is. We all have to try and take small steps. Small steps, not big ones, but take small steps and slowly connect to God. And I'd like to, connect, I'd like to conclude with one point and then take questions. The Torah shares that there were numerous journeys the Jewish people took from Egypt to Israel. Numerous. And yet it says, how many journeys did it take to leave Egypt? How many journeys did it take to leave Egypt? One. We just need to leave Egypt. If you ask me how many, how many journeys it took to get to Israel, I would tell you 49. But if, if I want to know how many it took to leave Egypt, it took only one. And yet the Torah says, to leave Egypt it took 49. How could that be? The Torah is teaching us a very crucial lesson, and that is, that each one of those 49 levels, once we've gotten there, if we stay there, we're again in Mitzrayim. In our own life, we are constantly having different challenges. And yet, if we leave Egypt to the next level and get stuck there, we're still in Egypt. That once, once we stay there, we're still in Egypt. There, we have to constantly be moving on, exactly what we're saying here. We have to constantly be working, we have to constantly be constantly working and striving to connect with God. And this is the Tama, the most complete service there is for being. Is there any questions? Yes, Sandra. So, when Hashem designs each of us, what does that mean? What has He designed? Tell me the question. Tell me the question. Has Hashem designed our um, natural animal soul plus the energy that uh, plus gives us energy to be His servant? I mean, what has He designed? You're saying, what are we without working? Is that your question? What do we naturally... Okay. What has Hashem... How has Hashem created us? What, is, what does it really mean to be natural in terms of what Hashem has given each of us uniquely? Are you, are you asking, at what point is something natural and we need to move, move on from it? Is that your question? individuals, that we're each individual, each soul is separate from God and we have our free will and 
Is that what she's, is that what? Well, how are, how are we define natural as an animal soul, and Hashem has designed that. Everything here is Hashem's design. And so creation. Are you asking, excuse me, are you asking like what, what's, if everybody has an animal soul, right, are you asking, and everybody starts in the natural point. I'm not sure of that part. That's because part you don't know what the natural point is. Right. I know what it involves. Part of it is the natural animalistic soul. So are you asking where does everyone begin? Well, what's the this difference in the answer? So, so sorry, say the question again. Okay. I, I'm, I'm not getting it. And I wish I could be clear. So Hashem designs us all. And each of us have our own design of animal soul. And when you're talking about the servant and the effort and the struggle that we put out, has Hashem also designed that energy within us so that we can serve Him? Does everyone have the power to go beyond their natural nature? Is that your question? In part, yeah, in part. I'm doing this again. No, no, good. We'll take it piece by piece. The Gemara says, famous Gemara, God will never come with a task to someone that he can't handle. And if Hashem has entrusted each and every one of us to go beyond our nature, then he certainly has empowered us to do it, yes. And that's unique in us all. Absolutely. That's the, that's the, that's the beauty right. of life. We all have our own individual task. Mm -hmm. Completely. Okay. And this is perhaps the most important thing for us to leave here tonight knowing. Earlier we were learning about the tzaddik and bainani and there was perhaps, it, it let us down. Oh, maybe I'm not a tzaddik, maybe I'm not a bainani, who am I? Well, well, all you really need to know is what we're learning now. You need to know, wherever you are, stop and take the next step. And that's all Hashem wants for you right now. He, Hashem wants you to stop for a moment, say, where am I? Ayaka, where am I? And then do avodah. Then go beyond yourself. Work a little, work a little harder. Not much more. But we learn in Hayom Yom, Hashem doesn't want you to come and uproot mountains. and That's not what we're looking for. We're looking for step by step. Dr. Yosef, you had a question? Well, yeah. <laughs> but um, earlier, you, you, you just said how Hashem was sort of uh, hidden in nature. Yeah. And, which implies that nature is good uh, because it's the work of Hashem. And now you're saying, well, nature isn't so good because if it was so good, we wouldn't want to go beyond it. But yet, we somehow want to go beyond it. So that doesn't that <clears throat> contradict that, that, uh, that, uh, <clears throat> that if nature is, is good and reflects the work of God, why should we try so hard to go beyond it? Nature is great. The word nature is terrible. The nature is, is amazing. The fact that children are born, the fact that the sun goes up, the fact that when you plant something it grows, that's, that's the most amazing miracle in the world. The word nature... The very idea that we have in our vocabulary, a word, 
which says, oh, this just happens, let's not think about it, that is a concealment on God. Well, what, what I'm thinking is, if you look at, say, Christianity, yeah. in, in the Middle Ages, or even now, I mean, there are people who are monks, and they, they spent the whole, their whole life, you know, um, fighting nature, basically. Um, and, and, and yet, I mean, if, you know, we don't, I mean, somebody who's Jewish, doesn't necessarily look at them and say, "Well, these were the the you know, the greatest people in the world." Although, I mean, but they're doing what what they were doing. I guess what you're asking people to do. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm unclear. But they're striving to be better. Why? Judaism actually believes the very opposite of that. Judaism believes that we need to marry. And have children. We need to enjoy the world. We need not enjoy the world per se as a pleasure, but we need to eat and make blessings on things. We need to elevate them. Yeah. So, uh, the, we believe the the opposite of what those people are doing. So, perhaps clarify where you where you feel that well, what we're I, saying nature is what negative. Saying is, that's true. I mean, but um, but all these monks were were doing exactly what you were. I think asking everybody to try and do which was, which would be to go beyond their nature and, and they were doing it like full time uh, and and so if that if that's the ultimate goal of life then you say well these are the greatest people in the world but but as Jews looking at Christian monks we don't necessarily have that feeling that they were the greatest people in the world ah you understand you're saying they broke their they broke themselves yeah and if, if what we're saying is that someone needs to kind of go beyond themselves, then they emulated that in the greatest way. But they weren't doing what anyone asked them to do. God doesn't ask us anywhere to break yourself and just go against the world. God, God is not asking you to break yourself. He's asking you to work on yourself. Actually, so that's a very key point. God doesn't want you to break the world. He wants you to create the world. And when I'm saying to kind of go beyond yourself, I'm not talking about hurting yourself. I'm actually talking on with using whoever you are, taking it to the next level. For example, let's give an example. We're talking about learning something a hundred times and a hundred and one. That's a great example. Um, you know, let's go back to the idea of, of eating kosher. If someone unfortunately doesn't eat kosher at all. So first we're saying, let's take Shabbos. Let's make sure to keep kosher on, at least on Shabbos. So over here, we're not talking about breaking yourself per se in the sense of hurting yourself. We're talking about elevating yourself. Someone keeping being kosher, by the way, they're able to have a lot of good food. Right? It's not a bad, <laughs> it's not a bad thing. Or there's nothing in, within Judaism that hurts you. We're just talking about going against what you naturally want to do. <coughs> okay. Does it, no, no, tell me, is that not clear? Well, yeah, yeah. Um, but again, if you look at the model of these monks, yeah. I mean, some, well, some of them at least studied all the time. Some of them did. Some of them like, worked in the gardens or right. whatever they did. But, but they spent a lot of time studying too. I mean, it, it seems to be almost. I mean, granted, it's not in the Jewish context, it's in a Christian mm -hmm. context, but they were basically 
doing, uh, I mean, I, I think they were doing what you're asking Jews to do, but yet... I've made a massive mistake, obviously. I was very unclear about something, and, and, and I need to clarify this immediately. Judaism wants you, not only wants you, Judaism demands that we work with the world. Hashem tells us we must go to work six days a week. On the seventh day you should rest. On the seventh day you don't go to work. But six days a week we must go to work. Hashem wants that we should cultivate the world and make the world a healthy place. He wants to make sure that we are all working within this world. And when we're talking here about working on yourself, it is not to go ahead and, and abstain from anything. It's rather a self, it's a personal, a personal check of who you are to try and come closer to God. But it is not for, it, it's within the framework and using out the world to its fullest. Please. I think sometimes being a householder spiritually is harder than being a monk sequestered away, reading and, and having to, uh, dealing with life and all the things that go on in community. There's more challenges being a householder, in my opinion. <coughs> That's a good point. It's harder to be holy, or it's harder to be, or even forget about holy. Yeah, it's harder to be able to be within the world and, and live appropriately than to just lock yourself up. And mm -hmm. That's an interesting point. So it's not that we fight against the <coughs> soul. We <coughs> learn to control it. Completely. We, we never fight against the animal soul, we're fighting with the animal soul. Meaning, that at the end of the day, we want the animal soul to be on our side. We're not trying to go ahead and break mm -hmm. any desire we have. Our ultimate goal is to use it out for the good. Mm. And that is the only method to really live life. Hashem wants us to use everything that comes our way but just for a good reason. When you come to heaven, one of the questions they ask you is, why did you abstain from cer certain things? Why didn't you use them out for holy things? So when we talk about pleasures, it's actually, if we're able to use them out for holy reasons, and we're, we're able to, then, then they're very good. They're very important. Sorry, go ahead. No, it's just something about the animal soul. So... All that we do, all that Hashem has done for us, including our particular character of animal soul, is for the good. 100%. Everything, yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. Rabbi said, um, don't sweep away the darkness, but light a match. That's wonderful. Yes. 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 Okay, thank you very much. Yeah.